Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. Ding, 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 time's up. Good morning. How is everyone today? Happy Super Bowl Sunday to those who observe. I would like for the Mannings to stand up. Uh, go Chiefs. Yes. A little background on me. My name's Emily, by the way. I'm on the preaching team here, but I grew up in Kansas City. Kind of. Sixth grade through twelfth grade. The years that matter. Right, yeah. Uh, my parents actually just moved to Campbellsville this past summer, and they have lived in Kansas City since I was in sixth grade. So this is not a bandwagon situation we're talking about. It's about to, oop, that's okay, that happens. It's about to get crazy at my house this evening. We're very excited. But first, church. <laughs> Arguably more important. Arguably more important. Arguably. All right, we are in the second little part of our series in 1 Thessalonians. Last week, uh, Adam talked to us about living a quiet life, right? Mind your business. Did anybody use that on anyone this week? Mind your business. You did? Oh, okay. Work with your hands. Yeah. Uh, I, I took that as a pretty challenging word. I'm not going to lie. And if you felt challenged by the message from last week, I want you to know you're not alone. Um, I had a lot of conversations with people about it, and here's some of the things that they said. Um, somebody told me, I'm actually a lot happier when I'm living a quiet life, but it's so hard to do. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another person said this, I need to mind my business, you know? Can anybody relate to that? Me too. Um, A pastor friend of mine asked me this week what I was going to be preaching on, and I said, oh, you know, 1 Thessalonians 4, live a quiet life, and her eyes got kind of big, and she went, that's a hard one. I said, I know. I think she felt bad for me. Yeah. So this morning's message I don't think is any less challenging, but I do think that it's going to bring into focus some things that can help us maintain the right perspective when we're talking about life goals. And I have a great, really creative title, Life Goals Part (laughs) 2. I couldn't even take time to spell out part. Part two. Uh, it's fine. Think it is a good picture. Thank you. I googled ethereal woods. <laughs> That's what came up. Have you ever met somebody and it's like the first time you've met them and you think, oh, we could be friends? Yeah. Does anybody have that 
feeling? You meet somebody and you're like, you are my people. And it's a little weird to say to them. Like, I wouldn't recommend being like, you know. (laughs) We could be friends. Uh, But weirdly enough, this week, as I was reading and studying more about the church in Thessalonica, I kind of started feeling that way about them and our church. I thought, we could be friends. We could be friends. Uh, And I just want to take a moment, you know, when you become friends with somebody, you learn essentially their origin story. They don't have to be Superman. Everybody has an origin story, right? Uh, So you learn their origin story. And I just want to take a little minute um, to read how the church and Thessalonica came to be. I think, one, it's really interesting. And two, it shows just kind of how interconnected the Bible is. So we're going to read that. Let's pull up Acts 17. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of... Anybody want to hazard a guess there? Amphipolis, Amphipolis, and Apollonia, and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this, I love this part, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the real deal is the Messiah. So some of the Jews who listened, they were like, I'm in. They were persuaded. And they joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. Way to go. Okay, but part two. You ready? Some of the Jews were jealous. So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace Now, picture going to Kroger and finding the 10 rowdiest dudes and saying, let's rumble. Okay. So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, which is where Paul was staying, uh, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. They didn't find him there, so they dragged Jason out instead. Uh, And some of the, I know, poor Jason, he really gets it in this chapter. Um, Where was I? Some of the other believers insisted and took them out before the city council, which would not mean much in Campbellsville, but does mean a lot in the New Testament. Um, Sorry. (laughs) Don't put this on the internet. Okay. Uh, It's already there. I'm going to get called now before the city council. And I don't care. <laughs> Stop. Paul and Silas. Oh, my God. I'm feeling feisty today. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, which was true. And now they're disturbing our city, too. And Jason welcomed them into his home. So they're all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. And the people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, 
and then they release them. He kind of gets off easy, thank goodness, right? Uh, This was like a rabid crowd. They're mad about this. And this is how the church that we've been learning about for last week and this week came into being. Definitely not our story, right? Although we have a great story too. This one is a little more dramatic, if you will. I didn't include verse 10. It says, that night the believers sent Paul and Silas somewhere else. <laughs> Get out of here. But the, the gospel came to Thessalonica, and some people believed, and the rest of the people got really mad about it. And do you think that after Paul and Silas left, they just said, oh, we're not mad anymore? No, it continued. Continued. Um, I wonder this. I'm sure the answer is no for everybody in the room. Have you ever gotten into, I'll take this as an example, like a simple home repair project, and by the eighth hour and the fifth trip to Lowe's, you're like, I should have had somebody do this for me. (laughs) Yeah. I should have paid someone to do this. Uh, I'll tell you later our dishwasher story one year. My gosh. But he got it in. Um, Or when I first started learning how to cook, like really cook, I would read these recipes and they would be like, 30 minutes. It is never 30 minutes, right? It's never 30 minutes. That's a lie. Um, And I can't help but wonder if our friends in the Thessalonian church kind of felt the same. They were so compelled by Paul's testimony. And Paul tells them in 1 Thessalonians 1, like, hey, you didn't just receive my words. You received the power that came with them. You received the power of the Holy Spirit. And they were eagerly looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. And here's why. Paul's message wasn't just get saved. Paul's message always came with Jesus is coming Those two messages never diverged. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is coming back. And that is the story that this church received. Um, If you read the entire book of 1 Thessalonians, it will maybe take 15 minutes. I'm a very slow reader. And it took me about 15 minutes. It's well worth your time. You will notice... In all five chapters that there is language about the second coming. It's like this church was really looking for that day. But as time went on, it's kind of like that fifth trip to Lowe's. You begin to reevaluate some things, you know? Uh, And I think that's why Paul was so proud of them. Because even under persecution and uncertainty, even despite the anger of the Greek culture around them, they remained steadfast. But they're human too, right? So some of them had stopped working because, you know, Jesus is coming back. So why work, right? Uh, And then they had been following the Jesus way long enough that some people in their community had started dying. And how many of you know that that opens up a whole new host of questions? Uh, They were worried that, you know, Meemaw died before Jesus came back. 
does she get to see him? Was all her obedience and steadfastness in vain? These are really big questions. And then add to that the fact that while their lives had been radically changed by the gospel, the lives of the surrounding culture around them had not been, right? So they were thrown into living in dissonance in their community. Okay, at this point, if you're listening, you might be wondering, why is she going on and on about the church? We get it, Emily. You like the Thessalonian church. Uh, Well, here's why. There's this Bible scholar I really like. His name is Michael J. Gorman. Michael J. has a book called Reading Paul. And I was reading back through it this week a little bit, and he says this. When you're reading Paul's letters, like 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, it's not like you're reading mail that's meant for somebody else. We are actually, even across the divide of time, we are the same church as the one in Thessalonica. We bear witness to the fact that Jesus is who he said he is. We're actually people who are waiting for a second coming. Uh, And like them, in the meantime, we have questions. Things happen and it makes us wonder, why? Like, what's going on? What am I devoting my life to? It's okay to ask those questions. Uh, And then second, or, you know, fourthly, fifthly, whatever. Um, We're trying to live transformed in a culture that does not tell us to live transformed or to live according to the ways of Jesus. So this letter to the first Thessalonians, uh, it's for us as well. And in keeping with our life goals theme, I have three for us today. From start to finish, Orthodoxy and orthopraxy, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then tell the whole story. These are our life goals we're going to talk about today. I actually think three is a lot. So even if you just take hold of one of these, great. Good for you. Um, But here's something else that I kind of thought about. Like, um, We all probably have individual life goals. Like Adam wanted to play for UK. He didn't. Uh... One of my life goals is that I want to take my kids to see all 50 states, okay? Like, we all have personal life goals. It would be really weird, though, if afterwards you came up to me and said, I like that life goal of yours. When's your next trip? I want to see the 50 states with you. I would be like, no, (laughs) please don't. Um, Or you should do that on your own. Uh, we, We don't very often invite ourselves into other people's life goals. Um, But these life goals that we're going to be talking about today are actually for the entire church. They're not just for a couple people in here to start living like really good lives and then everybody looks at them and says, oh, okay, good for you. Um, That's not it at all. We actually want people to say, hey, I want to live different from start to finish hey, I want to live differently in my orthodoxy, in my orthopraxy. Hey, I want to learn how to tell the whole story, and I want to do it with you. 
as a church, that is what we want. So I want to put that framework around these goals today. Um, These are personal things to work toward, yes, but these are also things for us to work toward in community with one another. All right, life goal number one, live different from start to finish. Uh, Last week, we looked at two verses in chapter four, Uh, and I want to zoom out just a little bit because Paul actually calls out three specific areas in that fourth chapter where these uh, people have the opportunity to live differently. And the first one is three through four. The first one is get your sexual ethics in check. Here's what Paul says. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Pretty cut and dry. Pretty cut and dry. Um, The second place is to be charitable, to work. We're going to read 9 through 12. We don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, so what he's saying is like, even though you're doing a great job, we urge you to love them even more. And then our verses from last week, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. And then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you won't need to depend on others. And when we talk about being charitable and working, what I don't want you to hear is this theology of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and look out for number one. That's actually not at all what we're saying. Uh, Jesus said that the poor will always be with us. And as Christians, we have a responsibility toward them. So the work that we do is to actually care for others. Okay, and then the third area is don't grieve without hope. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And if I were to synthesize these three things, getting your sexual ethics in check, um, being charitable, taking care of the poor, working, and then Uh, not grieving without hope, what I see in that is Paul is saying in the way that you create life, in the way that you sustain life, and in the way that life ends, be different. Be completely different. And I also think that I just very succinctly explain to everyone why we need the Holy Spirit's help. Because... That is very difficult to do. We are deeply formed and shaped by whatever culture and place we are located in. 
So you can think about the broader culture of 2024, but you can also think of like Taylor County, Kentucky. We are formed and and shaped by our place. Um, Most of us are not transient traveling apostles. Is that right? Have I read the room? Okay. Thank God, right? Yeah. Most of us are not transient apostles, but um, we should make it our goal to not let culture and cultural formation uh, surpass the ways in which we are shaped by God. And I also want to say this. Um, If you hear me say, live different from start to finish, and if you think, well, here's the start, here's the finish, I'm somewhere in the middle, and I have yet to live differently, you're not excluded from this. We just read how the Thessalonian church started. Um, Was it a bunch of like fresh little babies hearing Paul's words? No. But that's also why these goals are so important because as a church body, we're not just reaching them for now. We are striving for them for the generations to come. So in the way that we are raising our children, uh, and in the hopes and dreams we have for them as they raise their own children, and then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Our life goal is to live different from start to finish. That's number one. All right, number two. Dial in your orthodoxy and your orthopraxy. And we'll talk about this. I did not put this verse on the slides that's my bad, but here's uh, something out of 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Paul says this, we loved you guys so much that we shared not only God's good news with you, but actually our own lives as well. Uh, it's entirely possible to tell people um, what you believe about Jesus while still keeping them an arm's length away. This is totally possible. Bless you. You know, God's good. But I think there's something to be said for not only sharing the gospel with your words, but embodying it in your very way of life. Um, Paul's calling was to travel and build up the church. He tapped some friends to come with him in that effort. But by and large, the rest of the early believers had to stay put and be the church in the location where they received the good news of Jesus. And that's also what we're doing. And if they were to emulate Paul, uh, their calling was to not only share the gospel, but to live and work and share their lives with the community as well. And I think there's a subset of Christianity that says um, disengage, right? Disengage from the world. Uh, It's in the cultural waters. I mean, that's like why the pilgrims came here, right? Yeah, religious separatists. Um, So it's, it's in our history, right? But what we read in the New Testament, what we see in Jesus's life and ministry is actually the opposite. John 3, 16, right? God loved the world so much that he sent his son here. So I really want us to understand what it means when I say that this letter is a word of gospel in action, of gospel in our bodies. And this is where our orthodoxy, and by that I mean 
the right things that we believe about God uh, and our orthopraxy, the right way in which we practice those belief, beliefs, uh, we want them to be dialed in. We want them to be working in sync together. We don't want to just declare Jesus with our mouths. We want to actually embody him in our lives, in the community. So I'm going to tell you guys a little story. A few nights ago, uh, I went to bed, and I was thinking about today. I was thinking about, what am I going to say? What's going to end up being in this sermon? Um, I went to bed, and the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night, which was rude. (laughs) So rude. And here was the thought that was in my head, and I know that this was the Holy Spirit. Um, Here's what I heard. Everyone in central Kentucky has heard of Jesus. Okay? Everyone in central Kentucky has heard of Jesus, but it's how they have heard of him that we should be concerned about. And I was like, why? Because it was like 3 a.m. Why? And he said, because people know who Jesus is primarily by the way their lives intersect or bump up against Christians in the community. So our lives are not just our own. They tell people the story of who Jesus is. That's how they know. And that's why the message of this letter, which is for us too, matters now. Keep loving, work hard, live a quiet life, etc. But it also matters for eternity. And it doesn't just matter for you. It matters for your neighbor too. I think we miss out on a large portion of God's vision of salvation if we boil it down to Jesus being our personal Lord and Savior right? There's a communal component that is critical for taking in the larger vision of redemption that God has in mind. Mm -hmm. And that's why Pastor Paul is saying you got to live totally different, totally transformed, start to finish um, by the intersection of your orthodoxy and your orthopraxy. And it's because the entire message of the gospel matters for right now, but it also matters for the future. Okay, I could go on about that forever, but I'm not going to. We're going to move on to number three. Tell the whole story. I want to read um, verses 13 and 14 again. Can we pull those up, Reese? Thank you. All right. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know What will happen to the believers who have died? So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back to him the believer, or with him the believers who have died. In their grief, the believers in uh, Thessalonica wondered whether their friends who had lived lives of love and of work and generosity had done it all for nothing. And in Greek culture at the time, again, what they were still living in, the prevailing thoughts on death were, all is lost. This is the end. 
cry, weep, despair, there is no hope. I think the best way I can explain this for us is by asking like, have you ever believed something without examining the implications of believing the whole thing? Okay, I don't wanna ruin um, Christmas for anybody in the room. <clears throat> there are a lot of beliefs about a certain individual that you may have had when you were younger. And if you believed in this certain individual, um, then you had to believe the rest of what is implied with believing in this certain individual. Um, and that's where things, you start going, hmm, hmm, maybe I don't, you know? Uh, I'm gonna tell you some things that I believe. You ready? I have a whole list, I'm gonna keep it short. Here are some things that I believe, and because I believe these things, I have to believe other things about that thing. One, I believe that baseball is the best professional sport. <laughs> but, because I believe this, I also believe that going to a crowded stadium at 1 p.m. in the middle of July and eating dollar hot dogs with my husband and three young children is actually fun. <laughs> Thank you, Holly. Yes. And guess what? I do believe that because I believe that baseball is the best professional sport and it's starting soon. I believe homemade bread is far superior to store-bought bread. And this means that when I eat store-bought bread, I believe I'm settling for just a little bit less. It's true. I believe that school starts too early. Thank you. I believe that school starts too early. And every time I roll out of bed before the sun is up, I'm declaring that I have no control over the efficacy of my beliefs because my kids will be marked tardy whether or not they care that I believe school starts too early. We must be there by 8. 7.59, if you're me. I believe that running for fun is insane. <laughs> Corbin? Joey? Is Chad here? No, I'll get him second service. I believe that running for fun is insane. But I also believe that exercise is good for you. So God bless the runners, okay? But I believe it's not for me. <laughs> I believe Diet Coke is the best drink there is, and I will die on this hill. <laughs> I believe, Di you guys are like, I don't wanna be her friend. She is not my people. That's fine, it's fine. I believe Diet Coke is the best drink there is, and I believe that it might kill me, but I don't care. <laughs> and I also believe it probably won't. But it might. It probably won't. And I also believe that water is very good. And all of our, us Diet Coke drinkers should drink more water, not Diet Coke. I believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again. And because I believe that, I also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. See, if we believe one thing, 
It means we believe the other. And our life goal is to bear witness to the entire story, not just the get saved part. We aren't saved from something. We are saved to or toward something. And that's what we bear witness to in our belief. When we tell the entire story, and I'm never going to stand up here and be like, I understand all of this. No. Um, I actually think about it all the time. Like you hear people asking nowadays, like, what is your Roman Empire? Eschatology. That's mine. I, with what limited free brain space I have, I'm thinking about But here's where I land in my pursuit of this life goal, and I hope that I can have an influence for the larger body in our pursuit of this life goal. Here's where I land on this. Jesus is king. He is coming back again someday. And somehow, even when we are grappling with the very human emotion of grief, the Holy Spirit empowers us to have real, actual hope. Not hope that says, well, everything happens for a reason. That's not it. Real, actual hope. And this hope isn't just for you personally. It's actually for the entire church. And that is what we bear witness to when we bear witness to the entire story of God. So, band, you can come back up. As part of my sermon prep, every time I preach, I ask the Lord, what are some possible responses that people could have from hearing the message? So, we have a ministry team that's going to be right up here after we sing this song. They want to pray with you. And here are three possible responses that I think somebody could have after hearing today's message. It is not all of the responses. It's just three. Um, One, you might just be thinking, hey, there's a part of my life where I have not been living differently. And that's probably like very, you don't have to do a lot of soul searching for that. It's like right on top. You know what that is. We want to pray for you. Here's what I want to say though. Uh, actual lasting change, you cannot manufacture it on your own. You actually can't do it. You can do it for a little bit. You can fake it. But actual, real, lasting change only comes because the Holy Spirit empowers us and helps us do it. So that's what we would love to pray for you about today. Number two, Maybe you have a hard time sharing your life with others. Maybe all of this talk about like being in the community and being open to others and you're just like, oh, no. Or maybe you're fine sharing your life with others as long as you aren't talking with them about God. If that's the case, we would love to pray for you. And finally, if you just need some hope, if you just feel a little hopeless about a life circumstance or, I don't know, something that has happened recently, 
If you just came to church thinking, I actually could just use some hope, I think it's available for you here today. So we're going to sing. Go ahead and stand up. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.